Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. My guest today is Dan Aganji. How are you? Very good. Very excited to be here. Glad we got it finally worked out. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. I know it's a busy man, and then it's always fun trying to do anything on a Friday. <laughs> so exactly. Uh, great. Well, um, let me introduce. So, so Dan's currently at DocuSign as an engineering manager. Um, before that, you were uh, driven as an engineering manager as well. I know you're an organizer for React Loop, which is a React conference based out of the Chicagoland area, and then you do a lot of mentorship, speaking, um, and and uh, just conference work uh, on the side as well. Did I miss anything? No, that's a pretty good picture. Cool. Great. Well, can you share a little bit about um, your team and, and your background uh, at DocuSign? Sure. Yeah, let me start with uh, DocuSign and my amazing team who I'm happy to brag about on this. Uh, so I, uh, I run a team. The uh, cool business name is the Side and Core UX team. Uh, so we own uh, what you'd say, this is going to be very as literal as it sounds. Uh, so we're in the CLM product, which is contract lifecycle management. So everyone or a lot of people know the signature side. Uh, you can think of us as all of the things before and after or leading up to a signature. So there's a lot of contract management and that's where we focus around. Uh, my team, uh, sell side is literally what it sounds like. Somebody wants to do some type of selling and they want to wrap a set of contracts, agreements, documents, whatever you want to call it uh, within that. Uh, and then outside of that particular feature set or uh, capability, uh, and this is where my background comes in, we own the overarching direction of the user experience of the entire CLM product. So I, uh, I started as a digital artist once upon a time, got into design, the web design, and then eventually stumbled into engineering. So. I always say I'm a tainted engineer. I, I am 100% user experience, customer focused. I push that on my team. Um, they know that very well. Um, but that really is my bread and butter is, you know, I really focus on trying to bring the best experience out and then the engineering side of front end that comes along for the ride with that. Nice. Yeah, that, that's an interesting kind of pathway into technology. When I was in recruiting, I think I saw... And then this is maybe more of a un underdeveloped front end market than it is today. But there used to be kind of two tracks where it was like a software engineer who just happened to do front end work, right? Or someone who came from like a design background who probably did some flash and CSS and HTML and then cobbled it all together into like an engineering career. So it sounds like me, you were more of the designing background and then, then um, the engineering came second. So this is more of a, I had way less gray hair than when I started type of thing. Uh, so I started designing and like, so I started in video games is my cliche backstory originally in coding and design. And I started, that was like 2001 or two. So I started coding like 04, 05 uh, when, like you said, front end was not a, uh, not what it was today. Um, but I've, I've gone across it. Like it was old lamp stack. PHP was everything back then and my sequel. Um, and then just, Plain old JavaScript. So I've I've seen it kind of evolve. I've been through the super cliche stereotype old stuff, and um, yeah, so it, I've been through a lot of different sides. Like I said, I think I'm t getting on 20 years now in the industry. <laughs> nice. What was your first um, job? I usually ask engineering job, but I guess UX job in general, right? What was kind of your pathway into <laughs> it? So it's funny is is when I was designing, I just 
was very bold because I was an unaware child at the time. Um, so I actually put together a design portfolio and attempted to get a design job at State Farm when I was like, I think I was 16, maybe at most, nice. uh, and got, got denied in a heartbeat, but I still did it and it was wildly over the top. Um, but I did end up doing freelancing a lot of it. That's where I started was freelancing. Unfortunately, I'm not the, uh, did the HTML MySpace guy like everyone else. Um, that wasn't me. I did do it, but that's not how I learned. Um, but all self-taught, um, I did freelance, absolutely hated it by the end. I still hate it today. Um, but that was initially where I started. Uh, and then, I mean, I, I went through the gamut of companies, small, large, uh, startup. I had my own startup that failed gloriously. Um, my first job, though, is just through happenstance at school. One of my good friends, he's like, hey, the place I work needs web design. You want to come in? Went in. He's like, hey, can you fix this? I did it in like a couple minutes. He's like, all right, I want to hire you for a good <laughs> amount of money back then. It was, it was actually great. Um, but again, I was very young, um, very new to the industry still. Um, and then I carried that to my first salary job. And well, there's a lot more to go from there. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's great. I, I I find it really interesting when people start in the the freelance world and then then kind of progress into something more full time. It's just a interesting, I think, mindset. And it's almost you almost dive right into it because sometimes you end up with stuff where you're like, oh, I know how to do this. Or you end up with stuff where you're like, I'll figure it out, hopefully. <laughs> right. I I remember my, so my like first legit, or sorry, I guess second technically, my my job, I got there and they laid out the project I was doing. It's for this like lotion company or something. And very confidently, yeah, 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 cool. I sat at the desk. I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting fired. Like I was <laughs> freaking out the first day. Like it's just supernatural and you, but you push yourself, right? You put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and man, you sure attempt to swim. Hopefully you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I feel like no matter what your first job is, it's terrifying. Even if it's the most relaxed environment. Like I feel like my, my first full-time job in engineering was pretty relaxed and laid back and everyone was very nice, but I couldn't get my, my virtual environment set up. And I was freaking, I was like, I'm not going to make it through my first week. You know, it's like, it's taking me hours to get this, this, box set up and it just isn't going to make any sense right and you know i look back and i was like i can't believe i was freaking out that much about it <laughs> but it, i mean i feel like everyone's in that boat because you just don't know right it, it, it's scary it's it's tough um but it's like anything right like you might say one thing they offered you're like oh no problem at all but you get to something else you're like i have no idea what i'm doing here it's funny though right like you you said it yourself you like now i look back and i'm the same thing i'm like oh like that was no problem at all um but i also realized that I freaked out unnecessarily. Like, yeah, I didn't know it, but when I stepped back, I'm just like, I did get it eventually. And that's the thing is as much as we're an engineer, I'm an engineer, you're an engineer, there's designers, we're all problem solvers in the end, regardless of how you do it. And that's basically what you did to make yourself get where you needed to be. Yeah. Just over a year into my engineering career now, I think the number one thing that's changed is just recognizing that if I don't know the, the, the solution right away, it's okay. I can, probably figure it out right if i spend enough time looking at this i could probably figure it out or i know when i'm hitting up on the point when i need to ask someone else right like hey i, I don't think i'm getting this can you help right and i think that's the biggest difference where before i would just go oh boy right <laughs> like it's a whole downward spiral right if i don't know something right away that's the tough part right is just like you want to be self-sufficient and independent but there's a side you don't know what you don't know even at a senior level there's things that come up so like that line between when am I not being independent, but when am I wasting too much time and I need somebody playing that is super hard. And my, my newer engineers in the industry you know, struggle with this in the way of it's just hard to know um, which way to go, when to go. 
Um, but again, it's something you work on and you think about, and it's like, you know, I spent too much there. I could probably be a little more independent on this and it's just a back and forth and you grow through it. Yeah. It's a skill in and of itself. So that's, that's something certainly to work on. Uh, can you tell me about your, your basically how you end up in your current role? Yeah. Uh, so one thing I'm very big on with my team is, so I don't, uh, I don't only push for engineering growth and technical abilities. I, I do a lot of professional stuff. And one of the big ones, again, my team will very much like, yeah, he talks about that too much is relationships network. Like I put a lot of emphasis. Some of my, the best things that have happened to me in my life have been through that. And DocuSign included, uh, one of my best friends happens to be an engineering manager here and through conversations like, Hey, we're, you know, maybe we're actually looking external for once. And, Trust me when I say this wasn't like, uh, oh, his friend got him in. No, I went through the ringer as far as interviews go. Like, I think it was uh, a VP call. This is right when COVID hit, by the way. This was like a VP call, take-home exercise, VP call again, one more call in the middle, and then the actual in-person in during COVID interview process. So it was tough, but I, it came through my network. Nice. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I am probably in the same boat if you can't state it enough, right? Like it is very valuable, especially if you enjoy the people you're, you're sometimes people think of networking is like almost a dirty word of like, Oh, I'm going to hand out business cards or something. But it's, if you think of it from like, Oh, I'm talking to people that I enjoy talking with about things that we have in common, right? Like so it's a much easier way to I think get networking to click with people. And then you just, I don't know, foster those relationships in some way, shape or form over the course of years. Like that's where most of, I think my, the best, connections too sounds like a weird word right but like <laughs> a lot of great stuff comes from that even if you don't see like the immediate uh, result of it right away right so it's kind of an no doubt space. i will say for those of you that are more outgoing and like people you will have a better shot at making this really work for yourself um and the reason i say that is you're right like i don't like like i've had people come up like here's my business card walk on to the next person that in the bed i'm like garbage like absolutely yeah, yeah. not um i like people i like learning about them what makes them tick what they care about asking questions that's actually building a relationship when you care about their side and understanding well, who the hell is this person and that is something that can set you apart but there is the side of hey i just need to build work relationships to you know make things move or work with someone more effectively so it's not a bad thing by any means it's, there's just a couple of different ways to look at it yeah Absolutely. Have you done technical interviews lately for, for your team? I know you mentioned, you know, you went through the, the whole loop at DocuSign a year and a half ago or two years ago, but um, can you talk about interviewing on either side of the table? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I was on the opposite side of the table. So what's interesting is, and I did this DocuSign, I, for, at my last job, I rebuilt or I, I designed our interview and uh, hiring for company-wide for them because it was a little bit smaller where we were in. Um, so I was running hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews. Uh, and then I went to DocuSign. So I flipped very briefly to the other side, got the job. And then what I found was we have a lot of hiring. I'm also very, I'm very passionate. That's why I did it the last job. So I, for CLM and a couple of the orgs that I'm within, that was one thing I did was I shaped and kind of refine or refined and structured out how we do things. And the same thing I ran, I can't even tell you how many, it's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of phone screens, in-person interviews, closeouts, like, you know, and I've done negotiation and offering stuff. So I've been up and down the entire thing a lot of times. Yeah. I, I now I'm remembering, I think that's how we originally met was you probably got booked for 15 interviews for candidates I sent over. And, and I was like, <laughs> who is this guy? Right. And you, you know, you probably did 20 interviews over the course of two days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what are you typically evaluating for in a technical interview when you're hiring someone for your team? So when you're at the phone screen stage and I like to run phone screens because one, I like one, I like to be respectful of my team's time and there's a lot of phone screens and that's really the first layer. So I typically take on a lot of that weight, sometimes engineers, um, more senior engineers, but most of the time it's me. Uh, so there's a few things, right? So undoubtedly, there's the most obvious, your technical expertise. Do you understand the tools that you're working in, how to solve a problem? Do you, can you actually solve this problem that I'm giving you? Or can you approach it in a good way, even if you get it wrong? And I look at that stuff. But like I said, I look at a lot of the other skills that go along with that, like how are you communicating in the interview? Are you talking to me as you do it? Or are you just heads down in a corner coding? Um, did you clarify you know, what you're trying to do here? Do you understand it? Um, what if it's ambiguous and you don't make, uh, uh, give it uh, context or try and, sh you know, make it more finite? Like, I really look at a lot more than just the technical, you know, and even though the technical is the goal of that screen to, you know, bring in, I always funny, I always say like, not get rid of people to but bring in the right people. Um, but there's so much other stuff that I'm starting to understand so that when I send them to the next interview stage, I know a lot more about them than just their technical abilities that I can frame for the next set of interviewers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, do you have some type of standardized system or uh, sometimes I ask about like a rubric of how you're grading people, but also um, is the process the same as far as like the number of steps uh, for each candidate that's coming through? Yes and no to that. So the process is pretty much the same. The questions are majorly the same, to be honest. It's more which question do we want to bring out in this one, not because of the person, but just we like to have a variety of them. Um, but the reason is, is, and I've done this for a long time, is I, I don't give people that are seniors different. I just have a different set of expectations. Mm. Like the alignment there is right. Like you might be like, Hey, this is what makes a senior a senior. Right. But just cause you're not a senior doesn't mean you can't take on those top tier qualities or that extra set of expectations. It's just not expected to fault of you. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the part that we're still working on to be completely honest is, is that we're still trying to align in our org. Um, what are those common signals that we're looking for? Like when we say we want senior, we think this person might map there. How do we know that's the case? Mm -hmm. And a lot of really smart people have it in their head but we're still trying to, again, bring that all into one to be like, hey, let's make sure we do have a consistent system so we can actually get not best guess data um, and that we all agree, like, this is how we signal this type of level or this type of person. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's the million, billion dollar question, right? It's, it's, it's hard, right? Yeah. Very, very hard. There's a great, um, I still refer back to it. It's a Rent the Runway. It was a company that put out basically their rubric for hiring. And I think that like changed a lot of people's mindsets of, oh, we need to have something on paper that we can point to where when we're in our, our hiring committee meeting, right? And we're saying, is this person senior or not? And do we want to make them an offer or not? Like, can we look at these five things, right? I say, do they check these boxes mm -hmm. or not? Uh, which is, it's tough to be figuring out what that looks like for your company in any given situation, right? And trying to make sure that works for, for everyone, right? I think that um, last guest I had on spoke about like how you're constantly iterating there, right? Because sometimes you're like, oh, we've got to figure it out, right? But then someone comes through that maybe, oh, it doesn't end up being a good fit and you realize this piece was missing in our interview process or, you know, people aren't getting through and you're going, oh, do we actually need this thing, right? So it's mm -hmm. it's an iterative process that I think is difficult to, to nail down. You also have to remember too, especially like, so for a company like DocuSign or other big tech and Fang, like, 
the amount of people that come through is extensive amount of scale. And not only is the data there to one, make it consistent at some degree, right? But we have to have some form of process to be able to move forward, right? Like we want to see everybody, but there's a lot coming in. So we have to think about our own time and how we manage that. We try to get to it all, but it's not always realistic that that's going to happen. So these things help us do that. Um, even if they're not always perfect and maybe, you know, iterations, like you said. Yeah. What, what does the process look like? So is a phone screen uh, typically you handle first and then what's after that? Yeah. So we have, uh, there's, you know, so first it actually passes through our recruiter recruiting team. Uh, so, you know, it could be an internal referral. It could be they applied and they make sense for a role potentially, or they apply for the role and it's like, Oh, this could be you know, a good fit. And we do a recruiter call, which is pretty standard kind of hear a little bit of background alignment between what they might be looking for, things like that. If, if things are again, aligned, and this is one thing we try to do a lot is just like, you know, you've ever, you get to the end of the line, let's say compensation we'll use as an example. And this person wants $6 million. It's like, well, we can only pay a million. Like that was a waste of everybody's time. So getting alignment across whatever those things are we care about is helps us not you know, waste time and know, are we going down the right path? Um, once they do, they come to a phone screen, typically an engineering manager, but we do have some engineers that'll run them. Uh, again, the technical mix with just general stuff, background experience, things like that. Uh, and then the way that we do it, and this isn't super uncommon, um, we go a little bit more technically heavy, um, which is, again, not uncommon, but we'll break it down into, let's call it like application design, systems design, and then the coding portion. Mm -hmm. The part that I recently added, which I'm still getting everybody on board, is the behavioral thing is mm -hmm. spend time with someone going in depth and poking into what they did and you know whether it's technical or how they handle the situation. Um, and then maybe let's say you want to close somebody and you know this well is maybe a VP comes in for a 30 minute last session, things like that. So that's pretty standard, you know, and you debrief at the end and you try to make the best decision you can with what, you know, your data and then your gut instinct. Yeah. Great. Well, that, that's a helpful overview, especially I, I, I think it's important to know too, like companies at a certain scale, DocuSign is certainly a very large company, right? So, uh, you, you face totally different challenges, right? Than someone who's interviewing five people a week versus, you know, 50 people a week, right? Yeah. That's what's cool though, right? Too, is you said the signals we were talking about, like regardless of the scale and the context of our company, there's so many things that you could go to any company and it's going to be valuable to put in play, right? It's just different when it's a smaller company. Like you also like may say, yeah, we have this amazing system we stole from Netflix for hiring but we're small and we need to use our gut instincts a little bit more because it's just, you don't have the ability to go as deep and we have to rely on that as, you know, we're trying to build this company out, let's say at small scale. Yeah, absolutely. So turning the, the table on you a little bit here, how do you feel that you do in technical interviews or how have you felt in technical interviews in the past? Uh, good question. I'll be honest with you. I, so all of the, the communication, the professional skills, behavioral, like, Whatever is above A++, I can knock that stuff out of the park. It's something I've always been strong at. I have good experience. But I'll be honest, I the space like algorithms, space-time complexity, things like that, in 30 minutes, I'm not going to do that as great as I should. I'll be honest with you. It's, it's you know, that is definitely a very Silicon Valley-driven thing that's happened in the last 15, 20 years. It's not a bad thing. I do think it's taken as too much of the only way to go about it. Um, but... I would struggle in that. So, but I also can tell you with our problems, we do have those things, but we also do real world stuff. Like that is far more applicable. Me saying, um, you know, 
uh, there's eight signatures coming in from different companies and these APIs, and maybe this XF or XML feed, and you have to manage those promises effectively versus just like, hey, tell me you know, what the space time of this integer or array function you wrote is. They both have value, but it's not just algorithms that tell a story, and I'm not that good at them, to be completely honest. <laughs> sure. No, I mean, I, I love the honesty. And I think, I think you're in a, a similar situation to a lot of people, especially if you're in, a, in, in any type of um, management level role. Like I see those algorithm questions almost as more effective um, at maybe uh, uh, early career um, level roles because you're asking, you're basically giving the same types of questions um, to people who are probably coming right out of some type of computer science background, right? So it's like, okay, did they learn the stuff that maybe they were supposed to learn and if they went through college, right? So I see that being effective in, in some way, shape or form, but then once you're out of it, you, you know, maybe you touch that stuff, but maybe you don't, right? Um, once you're a couple of years into your career. So it's always kind of interesting. That, that's what blows my mind about the algorithm thing. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I've, I'm at a company where I see people doing things like this, but like we have, how many people engineers we say, say, yeah, I don't really use that stuff or apply it. Like if we know as an industry that that is a small sector of the thing, why do we base that around that? Yeah. That to me is we want to weed people out, not find the right people in my opinion, but don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not probably for this conversation, but like boot camp versus computer science, like they all hold value. They all hold merit. They do different things, but you can never actually get everybody into one group of this is the thing. And that's the way it's just never going to be like that. There's how many people in the world now? <laughs> sure. All right. All right. Uh, do you have any type of system um, that you use to break down some type of technical question? Say you're in an interview or where someone asks you something, you don't immediately have a, Oh, I know how to do this. Right. Um, thought. And, and how would you, break that question down. Sorry, give me, give me that, give me that example one more time. So I understand I got yeah. that. Do you have any type of system you use or I guess thought process of if you're in a technical, when someone asks you a technical question that, that you don't immediately have a solution for, right. Um, and it's something that, that you have to, you recognize that, Oh, I'm going to have to break this question down in some way, shape or form. Oh, like me as the interviewer, you mean? Okay. As the in interviewee, you're the one. Oh, interviewee. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I mean, we talked kind of right, we started to dabble around that, that like, it's not just solving the problem, right? So, um, you, so you're just again, make sure I got this. Sorry, as uh, I'm the interviewee, I get this question, and I don't understand either the ask or what I'm supposed to be doing. And I need to be a different way it's articulated to me. Is that accurate? Uh, yes, but also you don't necessarily, um, understand, you don't have an immediate idea of how to solve this problem, right? You, maybe you understand the problem, but you don't have a, oh, I'm going to use X to solve this, right? Okay, okay, got it. Well, I would say, I mean, you know, if you're in that boat, I mean, either way, right? So what I would mention is it's like the first thing you should always start is by going and understanding the question. So like if I, again, this is all very on-the-fly JIT style thinking is, you know, is it I don't actually know this or I'm in, in the pressure situation where my mm -hmm. brain is just telling me I don't know this? And again, this is all happening very quickly and it's high pressure and it's not fun and I, I feel for all of you that have ever interviewed with me. I know it's not easy, um, but is first, do I understand the problem? Cool. Regardless, let's, let's make sure I understand that that's the case because maybe I don't, and that's impacting my ability to see what I need to do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but then, and I think you have a question coming up. We're going to, you wanted to talk about, and so I'm going to be kind of reaching into it slightly, which is you should talk about your approach and think through different approaches far before you touch code. 
So maybe it's that, you know, and people do this all the time. And I actually love when they do this is like, um, and I would do this too, is like, Hey, can I think for a minute now that I understand the problem? Let me, let me jot some stuff down. Like you have, there is people that have to process, like, I can't, I can't instantly come up with a tree algorithm or something like that. Like I have to think through it. And that's what I would do. Give yourself the time, like manage your time, but know that you can take time. Like what happens when you take shortcuts? If I take a shortcut in something in engineering and whatever it is, I take the short end of the stick at the end. So don't do that to yourself in an interview. And that's what I tried to do as much as I was stressed out and feeling the same thing that everyone else has felt at some point in their career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that's such a critical piece too. Uh, you mentioned, do I not actually know this or um, is my brain just freaking out? Right. Like, am I just not able to access that information right now? And I think that that's incredibly common. And I, I've talked before about even my, my first, technical interview ever i got a fizzbuzz question right and i was like oh great i know how to do fizzbuzz but because it was my first technical i just i literally could feel my heart beating out of my chest right and i was like i couldn't even remember how to write a function and i was like i know how to like i could solve this problem in my sleep but i can't even write out a function and i had to i just forced myself to like tap on my leg and in, in a rhythm that I was like, okay, this is what my heart should be beating like. And let's try to get it back to here so I can at least do something. Right. Um, and I think that's the piece of nothing else can come from practice, right. It's just being able to go, okay, let's get more comfortable with um, just being in the situation, right. Where I, I'm a little uncomfortable, but at least I've been in it recently. Right. Versus uh, this has been three years since I've interviewed and, you know, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do this, right? You have to practice. It's the same thing. You got to be out of your comfort zone. And I'll be honest, I don't know anybody except pros that don't feel those nerves. Like, I mean, even when I was before switching to management, I was super nervous. Like, I'm not the best coder in the world, but I'm okay enough where I'm like, man, I should not be feeling what I feel right now, but I do. And that's the that's what people have designed these interviews to be like. And I highly disagree with it, but when I want to help people figure out the system and how to work within it effectively, I can't just take the more ideal design that I do versus what the rest of the industry is doing, even though I want to change it for everyone else. <laughs> sure. Sure. I hear you. So you touched on this a little bit, but do you have any advice or tips for folks going into technical interviews? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me reiterate just really quickly what I said. So, um, uh, first is for sure. Like, so if you get into the technical code side, Actually, you know, let me give you one step back. So I don't, not everybody does this. This is how I think it should be. But like, so let's assume they ask for a brief elevator intro, right? Or they ask you for an intro. I'm very particular in my word usage for a reason, which is give me your elevator pitch, who you are, what you've been doing in development, you know, like shouldn't take more than like, you know, 30 seconds at most, right? Like that's really getting long is give a good introduction, give them some leading information about you so that you know which way you're going down. Um, Cause maybe it's only technical coding and you have no other opportunity besides the code to say anything about who you are or what you've done. That's a really great way to start. Um, from the code side though, I mentioned, again, do you understand the problem? Clarify requirements. If you're even vaguely unsure, make sure, like I actually I like when people clarify regardless of understanding, because if you go down the wrong path, here's what it tells me. Maybe you're not as detail oriented as you think or you don't actually follow requirements. And I think we can all agree, product department's not gonna be happy when requirements aren't, aren't followed, right? Um, so make sure that's there, ask good questions. Like, and if it's ambiguous, like Netflix loves to do this. They make things very ambiguous so that you have to put the structure or create the context for yourself. Mm. So ask those good questions, try and make sure you understand. And if it is ambiguous, 
build your own structure around it. That's what we want you to do because that's how it is in engineering. It's not always straightforward, especially the higher you go, right? Um, and then the approach thing, this is where another one, people jump straight to code. Don't go straight to code, huge mistake. Like it better be like do a palindrome if you're jumping straight to code. But even then, like it, it tell the, look through approaches. And this is the big one again is, what are a couple approaches unless it's very straightforward? And what are the trade-offs between set approaches? And be willing to say like, one could be better than the other. I'm gonna go with this, here's why, even though I'm losing this, right? Like. Mm -hmm. That's a huge miss that a lot of people do. Um, at least that's the upfront. I'm tons of stuff within the actual coding I can go to, so I can keep going or let me know what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's helpful. Um, and, and I think is the piece that is probably the most, I don't know, the easiest to give advice around that's actionable, right? Versus like, you yeah. know, this is how you should be do, doing some specific coding syntax thing, right? So that that's all very helpful. And it's interesting too, you mentioned, um, basically some companies and Netflix in particular, right. Being more ambiguous around like, what are the constraints of this problem or, or what are the details of this problem and wanting you to provide that's something I've run into recently where um, I know Google does the same thing, right. Where they're, they're asking problems where basically they want you to bring that stuff up. And if you don't, you really, I mean, they might provide it when you get into the question or you realize that you need it, but it's something that, that you have to provide. And those companies often are, are companies where you're maybe given a little bit more leeway in your actual engineering role to handle some of that type of stuff. Like Netflix, I think is, is, um, famous that's the right word for having people have a lot more in like, like basically there's not as much procedure in place. If you need to build something, you can build that right. And then it's off into the world, right? It's like, maybe very different than other companies where there's a lot more structure in place for how everything has to, has to be done. But I guess that's reflected in their interview process. Right. One of my mentors, this guy, Ryan Burgess, he's an engineering manager at Netflix. And I, you know, like I've learned so much and I love, like, it's not as easy what they do, but they do so many great things. I love to steal stuff from them happily all the time. I love their engineering culture. Um, one thing that is even interesting too is, and I'll just as a kind of close out on this is uh, at least try and get something working like hmm. not doing anything is way worse than having a brute or, or not having a like get a brute force solution if you hmm. have to you can always optimize later right like that's always part of how it goes um get something down and keep working through it interviewers should give you a push if you're stuck um so get something working um but i always one interesting last thing i do is if you're a senior engineer one it's especially important the clarification piece i said but i did want to mention too is like I always, I, I say this very directly as an expectation, like, Hey, this is what we're trying to do. Um, we have an hour. We're going to go through three questions, give or take you manage your time, but it's up to you, you know, as an engineer or as a more experienced engineer to decide how far you take your solution. You want to do the most optimal, you know, millisecond level type thing, go for it, but just be cognizant of your time. Like that's what I try to lay out for people. Cause some can take that farther uh, push than others can. So, yeah. Interesting. Do, do you have different advice um, for early career engineers? I don't think it changes a lot of that. Um, I mean, definitely don't do the optimal approach unless you really are like a star, you know, don't, don't go down that path. But um, one is just practice. Like uh, I know that practicing the problems to pass the interview is part of how this has been. I get that. Um, what I can say is, is that if you're going to go through that, like put yourself through that and you will, I'm sure you will is 
at least take advantage of the learning opportunity to say like, yeah, I'm doing these to pass how interviews run, but I want to become a better problem solver. I want to understand how to get my brain and my gears turning in the right direction. Like, Take advantage of the situation. So it's not just the, I need to pass the interview type of thing. Like there is value in what you're doing. Like it's almost like in school, right? Like not everything seems applicable. You can turn almost anything to be applicable, if not exactly applicable to what you're going to be doing. Um, the other is, uh, talk to hiring managers, talk to senior engineers, um, get a mentor. God, please get a mentor. Um, pair with people. Uh, there's so many things you can do to, to, you know, read a ton, like go and read and actually like comprehend what you're reading, even if you don't understand it exactly. So you can prep yourself. So when you come in, you can come in a little more confident, know a little bit more than the next person and you will go far and you're going to fail. You're going to fail. It's going to happen. I've only had maybe one in my, like maybe one or three people in my career that first interview ever trying to get a job with me have actually passed the interview. Like mm -hmm. they just, you can't get it your first time unless you're a star. <laughs> yeah. 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 Great. Well, that, that's very helpful. Um, before we move into the, the technical portion, take a break here. Any, any interviewing horror stories you're willing to share um, that maybe folks who are going into technicals can relate to or see that, Oh, I'm not alone. <laughs> Yeah, this is a little different with COVID for both of these, but uh, I have two that came to mind. I was thinking about this. Um, so the first one is, and it's not shocking, is, you know, uh, so for us, we do open book. Like I go, hey, I don't care. You're like, I don't remember this array method. Go ahead, look it up. I don't care. That's real world, right? Uh, so I gave a problem to somebody and they were kind of struggling, kind of not really going anywhere. And I give a little push. And then all of a sudden it kind of like changed to like, I like not knew it, but way more than the starting. And so I have someone next to me that's in there watching just for shadowing and they're on their computer kind of paying attention. They, they Google their answer basically. And it was a straight copy and paste out of stack overflow, not a change it type thing, like 100% write the answer out. And I was like, okay, this is a fail. Like I couldn't believe that someone would do that. It was mind blowing to me. Um, the second one was interesting. And I think there's a tip in here for everyone, which is, you know, with COVID, I think, right, if you're doing this, you're on your own computer for the most part, which helps. But what we would do is because we have our exercise on someone's computer, like a dev computer, we would hand over the computer to that person. And someone was very unhappy that the computer was not set up in a way that they knew how to use, even though it was just like shortcuts were different. Mm -hmm. And they freaked out. And they also left a terrible review on Glassdoor mm -hmm. about us. But it's you may not always be in the ideal situation and have exactly what you need or your stuff. So it's, it's a good, it's a good thing to think about is it's not always that ideal setup, even if you try to make it like that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I've heard people even say just practice answering things in a, a blank Google doc, right? Cause you might be asked to do that. You might not even have a, uh, an editor, right? So, mm -hmm. um, I, I, if I have any interesting horror stories, I try to share them here. I have one that was recent. Um, it was pretty bad. It, I, I, as a bald headed guy, um, anytime a bald headed person with a beard makes the news, people text me and say, Hey, you look just like this person, right? Even if I don't think it's that close. Um, but there was that terrible case, Brian Laundry, who had, um, killed his fiance, uh, and then they went missing. It was a whole, whole case, um, uh, several months ago, I think this summer. And so then people were telling me, Oh, you look like Brian Laundry, 
right? Um, so I had changed my Zoom name to Brian Laundry as a joke for for a poker group on Thursday uh, Thursday night, and then Friday morning I had an interview. So I get on with a CTO, and my name is Brian Laundry, and he goes, um, "Thankfully, he wasn't from the U.S., so he said." am I interviewing Taylor or Brian? Cause it says Brian. And I said, uh, don't worry about that. I, I'm Taylor. Uh, but it was, it was pretty bad. So uh, that's a true horror story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's pretty bad. Uh, great. Well then uh, let's take a break here and then we'll come back and move into the technical portion. Sounds good. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode, so be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash Dorset or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.